You're listening to The OK Show, a podcast brought to you by The Current. Everybody's got their something. We all are crazy. <laughs> like, we're all crazy, and it's okay to be crazy. Um, so let's all talk about it so we can be less crazy. As people who struggle with mental health issues, that's like the most common feeling. But I think that there has to be a point where you allow yourself to be vulnerable, be sad, be hurt. Even if it's a sad subject matter, there's something that's really life-affirming in that process of listening to music that moves you. How about we all stay alive so you can continue to make great music? How about we all just stay alive? Hey, welcome to The OK Show. I'm Andrea Swenson. This is a podcast that features real musicians talking about their real lives. You know, it's been a while since I put out an episode of The OK Show, and a lot has happened since then. Back in January, I was just starting to host and produce The Local Show, which is a weekly two-hour show on The Current about the Minnesota music scene. It turns out that I love making radio. I already knew that when I started making this podcast in the fall, but having a weekly show on The Current has only further solidified that for me. It's so fun to put together a new playlist each week to host performances in our studio and to help these musicians tell their stories. I also got a chance to do a live taping of the OK Show at the Minneapolis Institute of Art. It was part of a mental health event called Imagine Wellness. It was super scary, but thankfully my guest, who is POS, he happens to be one of the most charming people in the Twin Cities metro area. So he made the experience really, really incredible, and you'll be able to hear that conversation in this new season of the show, which I'm going to be rolling out over the next eight weeks. But the biggest event, by far, was just a couple of weeks ago. Prince died, and it hurt so bad. I ended up in the eye of a hurricane somehow, standing outside of Paisley Park on that Thursday morning, grappling with this horrible, horrible news. Like most people, I didn't want to believe it. So it wasn't until I was actually on air, on the current, talking to Jade on the phone, telling her that I had confirmed that he had died, that it really sank in. Prince meant so much to me. Prince means so much to me more than I ever realized. I keep thinking about an interview I did for this podcast last fall with Claire Monasterio, who you may know as Manchita. She was talking about losing idea, and she said, the grief is so thick. Well, the grief of losing Prince is so thick. I could barely see out of it for those first few days. I was crying nonstop, doing all these interviews, basically just about being sad and then crying some more. I told all my Prince stories. I watched every video I could find. I listened to every record in my collection. My thirst for Prince material is unquenchable right now. And I haven't quite come to terms with the idea that we will never get another one of those purple alerts, <laughs> the invitations that we would get out to Paisley Park, chance to stay up all night waiting for something to happen. We don't even know what we've lost. I say all this now because I can't keep doing this podcast unless I'm 100% honest with you and with myself. I mean, that's what this whole deal is about. And to be honest, I'm feeling more than a little heartbroken and distracted and off. These interviews in this new season of the podcast were actually all recorded before Prince passed away. So it feels kind of strange that we won't be discussing this big monumental event in these conversations. 
I almost feel like I could do a whole other podcast just talking to friends and musicians about their grief, but I'm so pleased with the ground that we covered in these interviews and the quality of the conversation and the guests that you're going to be experiencing is just tremendous. There's something a little awkward about calling up artists I admire and asking them to do this podcast like, hey, I hear you have issues. You want to chat? But somehow, knock on wood, everyone has said yes. So I just keep asking and we keep talking. And lo and behold, I have another eight episodes of The OK Show that are ready to release into the world. My first guest for this season is Spencer Worth Davis. You may already know him as the producer that goes by the name Big Cat, with an exclamation point. Spencer called me up a few months ago to let me know he was getting ready to release a new album and that it was going to be called What If It Doesn't Get Better? if it doesn't get better that name it caught my attention immediately we tell each other all the time that it does get better that all things must pass but what if they don't spencer's words started haunting me as big cats spencer has worked with dozens of musicians here in the twin cities from claire de lune to guante to toki wright he approaches hip-hop kind of like a classical composer, arranging live instrumentation and sampling organic sounds. And his new work is cinematic and gorgeous. He has excellent taste, and he's called on some very talented friends to make the album, including Lydia Liza and Eric Mason. I also wanted to ask Spencer about the process of releasing his first album, which was a tribute to his late mother, and which he made in the wake of losing her to cancer. I wanted to know how he's moved forward from that period of grief and into this new chapter of his musical life. So without further ado, here it is, The OK Show, Episode 16, A Conversation with Big Cats. Hello, Spencer. What's going on? <laughs> Thanks for coming over to my house. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. I think where I want to start is the title of this new album because I actually find it kind of upsetting. <laughs> um, and <laughs> that's, um, not, that's, not quite, that's not quite the intent. <laughs> and not in like that a might not be bad either. Yeah. Not in like a oh I'm, I can't believe you called the record that, but just the idea of what if it doesn't get better is mm -hmm. really, it's just, I've been thinking about that, just that phrase a lot ever since you told me what this record is called. And, you know, thinking kind of in the context of health and mental health, like we like to tell each other that it is going to get better. Mm -hmm. So the idea, entertaining this idea that what if it doesn't, um, I think it just, it hits me in a, in a way that I wasn't expecting. Yeah, so it's it's not meant to be, as ominous or as depressing as it might might sound um it it's sort of a mantra and it sort of motivates me to not be complacent and so what if it doesn't get better is less of well things are awful and they're going to stay awful and more of like well things could always be better and the only way that's going to happen is by me working towards that and by me actually doing something about it right because i'm actually at a place right now where for the most part, things are going pretty well for me. 
Good. And uh, between music and my personal life and work and all that stuff, it's things are pretty good. But I think that's that's kind of a scary thing as an artist because I I try to not put out new music unless I feel like I actually have something to say or what I'm saying is I'm saying it better than the, the way I did the last time. And so it's, yeah, whatever doesn't get better is sort of a way of taking on things that might be scary. Yeah. I totally identify with that because I think that terrifying myself is like the best motivation possible. All of the best things that I've done, like professionally and personally, have started by saying yes to something that scares the hell out of me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then figuring out later how I'm going to do it or if it's going to work or what's going to happen. But so, yeah, it's sort of that attitude of just I have to keep trying new things and growing and taking risks and failing if I want to improve as a person and an artist. And Yeah. What's the most recent thing that you've done that was scary? I took a job this fall that I really had no idea how I was going to do. <laughs> um, I've been teaching music to high schoolers this year full time. Cool. Yeah, but I'm also not trained as a teacher. I've worked in schools and worked with kids my whole life, but I, you know, I went to school to be a painter and a photographer, and uh, so I'm, you know, I never, I'm not, I was not at the time. I am now a licensed teacher, and I got offered this position to teach music production to high schoolers, and they'd figure out a way to get me licensed and make it happen. Wow. And I had no idea what that was going to look like or if I'd be able to do it, uh, but I said yes and then (laughs) had to figure out how I was actually going to make that all happen and it's been an amazing experience but one that was terrifying at first well yeah high schoolers are terrifying just on their own that too yeah (laughs) (laughs) being faced with a a room full of high schoolers every morning at 7 30 is an interesting way to go about life I bet you're the cool teacher because they know that you've been in bands you've been on tour yeah I try to I try and only bring that stuff up when it actually applies to what's going on, mostly just to keep some sort of like, you know, professional separation somewhere there. Right. Um, but that's really hard too with the internet. Yeah. Because it's like, <laughs> you know, I, obviously half of my life as a musician is promoting myself on the internet. And then as a teacher, it's like, no, don't go look on the internet, students of mine. What do they call you? Big cats? <laughs> Mr. Big cats? Pro- Professor cats. <laughs> Dr. Katz. Uh, no, just Mr. Davis. Oh. Yeah. Um, as I mentioned earlier, I was really just moved by how open you were around releasing your um, first solo record mm-hmm. um, for my mother. That's, that's yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I was wondering, you know, now that some time has passed from that album coming out, can you reflect a little bit on, you know, just what that experience was like for you to share that with the world as you're sharing your music and, and how was that received and how was it for you? Yeah, it it started out just as something that I sort of felt like I needed to do mostly for myself, just because writing and playing music is sort of how I deal with a lot of things and process a lot of things. Um, And so that that felt like a very natural but also necessary way for me to process 
that situation. But that felt, I didn't want it to be, I felt like it could go in a very dark and depressing way too, uh, which is not what I wanted that, that record and that project to be. So it kind of became this process of taking something largely negative, um, you know, just in the, the, the death of my mom and, you know, a lot of the, the stuff she was dealing with leading up to it and trying to turn that into something that could be positive and that could help other people. Um, in addition to helping me work through all of it. And so part of that was donating uh, the money from that record to the Minnesota Ovarian Cancer Alliance, um, which is an organization that my mom really felt strongly about and supported and got support from. But also in the music itself, trying to, you know, it's not a, if you listen to it, it's not a a dark or depressing record. Um, And so I wanted to to make something musically that could maybe help other people who are either dealing with something difficult or just want to be able to listen to and enjoy some relaxing music. Yeah. Um, I think for, you know, from what people have told me and the, the responses I've gotten over the last couple of years that it hit that mark. Um, you know, it's a record that people like the, the number one piece of feedback I get is that like how, many times people have listened to it and that you can mm. listen to it on repeat. Um, something that I really appreciate when, when listening to a record is that it has some replay value and that it can function in a lot of different ways and that you can engage with it on different levels. Um, like a record that you can sit, w- sit down with and give your full attention to, but also a record that can be appreciated on more of a background level and sort of just as part of whatever else you might be doing. Right. Um, which is, very much what I was going for with that record. I think also because of the, just because of the nature of the project and that, you know, it was partially crowdfunded and I got a grant to do part of it and I was donating a lot of the money from it. And then those things led to it getting a lot of press coverage. It really benefited me a lot as in just in terms of my career too, which was not something I was really expecting. That was more a record that like, I just felt like I needed to make. Right. But I think of all the the work that I've put out, that's what people have heard the most and really identified with the most and has led to a lot of other opportunities for me. Like even the the record that Toki and I did together really came out of him hearing that record and responding to it. It's very easy to go too far down the making music for yourself path where then you almost might as well not release it at all. You know, if, right. no, if no one's going to hear it or no one's going to experience it in any way. But it's also really easy to go too far the other way and make stuff only, you know, to elicit a certain, like a specific reaction in other people. Yeah, that, I think that was the best balance of that that I've struck. But I don't totally know how I did it. <laughs> <laughs> I think a lot of it was just, uh, I don't know, co- coincidental with, you know, with uh, what I was dealing with at the time and that a lot of other people deal with the same stuff or very similar things. Yeah. You know, I think at this point, almost everyone knows someone that's been affected by cancer. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, it's very, very common. Um, and I don't think, you know, at whatever I was, 20, 23, making that record, I really understood that cause it felt so personal. Mm-hmm. And at that age, I, you know, I just didn't, I didn't have the experience to know that like, Oh yeah. Like, everybody deals with stuff like this. So I was, I was sort of processing it on a very personal internal level. Um, 
And so I think that was good for me too, to see other people, like put that out and have to talk about it and see other people connect with it and react to it and want to talk to me about it. I think that was, that was sort of eye opening for me too, just to realize like, Oh, this is, this is something that everybody deals with, whether it's specifically cancer, or, you know, any sort of hardship like that. Um, right. It's really just a, you know, a matter of time that something is going to come up. That's going to really shake you. Yeah. I've come to terms with that a lot in the last couple of years. I mean, yeah, it, it, there is an inevitability to it as you get mm. older and develop closer and closer relationships with people and then mm. you have to go through loss and yeah, it does, I can relate to what you're saying about it. it does feel like very personal to the point of like your pain feels like unique and more intense than any other pain that exists and then you... Well, and it is. Right. You know, to, to you, it is. I'm just amazed by anyone that can be remotely productive and communicate that experience within any kind of time frame that's close to it happening. Yeah. I mean, there was, you know, the, the weeks and I don't know, months right after I, I didn't feel like I don't, I didn't do anything creative. I didn't feel like doing anything at all. But I think then once I figured out what I did want to do and sort of had the, the vision for that project, it, it all came out pretty quickly. might be kind of a weird question but um you know I've been thinking a lot in the last like year and a half or so about trying to include like a lot of um my own personal feelings and thoughts in my work and like Mm -hmm. being more open and vulnerable in that way and um obviously this podcast is a big part of that and and I've been doing more personal writing and and the response has been really cool but I almost get to a point sometimes where it's like you have to pull back like I can't go that deep all the time like it's kind of exhausting. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. And that was another thing I didn't really think about when I was making that record. It's like, oh, you're gonna, you have to talk about this a lot. Mm-hmm. People are gonna want to ask you a lot of questions about this thing that you just kind of figured out how to deal with. Right. Um, and I was talking. Do you know Sierra DeMolder? No. She's a poet in town, a good friend of mine, and she she put out a book earlier this year. That's uh, a book of poetry that's all based on. Um, an abusive relationship that she was in and we were having this conversation one night and she asked about putting out for my mother and like if it was hard I was like yeah like I didn't I had just gotten to a point where like I kind of was comfortable talking about a lot of it but I didn't realize that like putting out a record with that sort of narrative attached to it means like you're gonna have to talk about it a ton like all the time whenever you do an interview or whenever you play a show or whatever you play those songs, you mm-hmm. know, or in her case, you're gonna have to do those poems like every night when you're on the road. Mm. And that's, I don't know if there's really a way to like wrap your head around that before you actually do it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it, it, I kind of got to a point where like that was 
almost sort of, that was part of the process for me dealing with it too, was being able to talk to other people about it and being able to be more open about myself, Yeah, which is not naturally something I'm very good at. So I think that was, again, not an intended outcome of that project, but definitely a benefit to me was like, yeah, I have to, I have to not only understand this for myself and what I'm thinking about and dealing with and how I'm processing it, but like have a conversation with another person about it. And oftentimes that person's going to be a total stranger. You know, I'm not, I'm not talking to one of my friends or like my wife or something about which like I had barely figured out how to do. It was like some guy at a radio station is going to ask you and like, you're going to have to just talk about like the most personal stuff you've got. Mm hmm. Awkward. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. And, and figure out a way for it not to be awkward. Right. And figure out a way for like people to want to come to your show after they hear you talk about it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, buy my CD. Yeah, exactly. Not make it depressing somehow. <laughs> you definitely run the risk of getting pigeonholed as like that band that only makes really depressing music or like that writer that only writes really dark stuff or, you know, and as a, as a musician, like I'm not, I'm not interested in that. Um, I want to be able to make a bunch of different kinds of music. I think it would be as a producer, like I can kind of, I think I have more flexibility just in terms of who I get to work with than, you know, say if you're a cloud cult where that's, that's your thing, you are this band, Mm -hmm. but yeah, that would be, that'd be really hard. Like, could you, can you write a happy song at this point? Like, do you lose fans because you're happy? Like, that's not a fun situation to be in. Right. Well, I think about that too, with like musicians that do that like big breakup album or you know where right. everyone really relates to that and they pull it out every time they go through like something hard romantically and then what if you ha- like, get married and have kids what happens to you then right well and and i think that's why especially in pop music you get pushed into these really narrow topics that are covered because it has to be relatable mm-hmm. it has to be something that like a really wide range of people can identify with but at least in pop music it has to also be for the most part, like fun, you know, there, there's some exceptions that you can, or you can have like one ballad on your record, but it's gotta be fun or it has to be a love song because that's what everybody can identify with. But we were talking about like the really heavy stuff. I think a lot of people can relate to too. Yeah. And so sometimes, yeah, people do get drawn to that work maybe more than, than other stuff. But yeah, I don't, that's not a space I want to permanently occupy. Yeah. You know, I'd like to be able to make some fun music. Check, 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 check. What is this record about, would you say? Uh, yeah, that's a great question. It's, it's about a lot of different things. Um, one of the, the biggest themes on it is sort of experiencing different things simultaneously and sort of being in multiple places at once and different people having the same experience from lots of different places. Mm. And sort of this idea that we're maybe not all as separate and individual as we might seem or like to think that we are in our own heads what that means musically or how that comes out the songs are constructed in a way where 
one song might have several different ideas or what could have been several different songs kind of pieced together into one. Um, and it might have like very stark changes throughout it. Or, you know, there are a couple of songs that like literally are, I made three songs and then sort of blended them together. Like I would, mm. if I were DJing, you know, there's a song on the record where really nothing happens for four minutes. Um, it's just sort of, I mean, musically it's sort of just this four minute drone. And that's kind of, playing with the idea of just experiencing one thing for four minutes, which is something that we never do anymore. You know, and it's like such a short period of time, but I think, you know, and I, this is something I notice with my students all the time. Like if, if something drastically different isn't happening every 10 seconds, they can't like, we don't care. Hmm. We can't pay attention to it. We need something like actively engaging us all the time rather than being like, okay, where am I and what's going on? And I can just exist here for a few minutes. Right. You know, something we're always trying to like figure out what else is going on or what is this person doing or what's happening here? And just being able to like sit with one feeling or one sound or one thought for any extended period of time is not something we get to do. Um, That's why people text and drive. Yeah, exactly. They don't like want to be not, alone. It's, it's not enough that you're going like, yeah, we can't like, we can't exist with our own thoughts anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, I need to know what like mindless nonsense someone else is tweeting <laughs> while I'm driving 60 miles an hour from one thing to the next thing. You know, it's like, I can't, it's like scary to be in your own head for a minute. Yeah. So musically that, that comes out as four minutes out of a 30 minute record are just like the note F. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> and you can experience all there is to experience of F for, <laughs> for four minutes. And like, you know, figure out what kind of person you are. I'm so fascinated by music's ability to like heal. Yeah. Because it's it's so intangible, but mm -hmm. then it ha can have super tangible results in your life and it just kind of blows my mind that that's possible. And that I think about that a lot with like when music things are not going so well, you know, or when you're like waiting for that invoice that was due 3 months ago and you need that money one of those days. Uh I think about like all the like how different just my day-to-day -day life would be had I not decided to play music because mm. at this point it's it's everything I do all day but it's also like literally all of my friends everyone I hang out with on a daily basis I met through music yeah like anyone that I would consider friends or family outside of my actual family I, I met somehow through music me too yeah and so like that's <laughs> that's incredible. That's beautiful. And like very real and very tangible. And to connect that to playing a piano or moving some things around on a computer screen, like is a really something I don't really understand, Yeah. <laughs> but is a really, to me, like the most incredible part about making music and a big part of why I do it is like the people that you meet through it, you know, you instantly have this understanding and connection with 
anyone who, I mean, this is probably true in any field, but for me, it's music because that's what I do. But like anybody who takes something very seriously and works very hard at something and feels really passionately about something like, yeah, that's someone I want to be around. Well, thank you so much for talking to me. Yeah, thank you. This was fun. I'm never quite sure what to say at the ends of these episodes. Ta-da! <laughs> that was my conversation with Spencer Worth Davis, the producer, better known as Big Cats. You can find an archive of our conversation and some wonderful portraits taken by Nate Ryan over at blog.thecurrent.org. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast to get a new one every Wednesday. We are in a new season of the show now, so we'll have a lot of new episodes coming out over the next eight weeks including next week with Michelle Leon. I am so excited to share this conversation. Michelle is a founding member of Babes in Toyland. She was a bass player in the band up to the early 90s. She has an incredible story to share. So that does it for this week. Until next time, I'm Andrea Swenson, and it's going to be okay.